Hi, I'm Yusuf Zin. My latest TVO Today podcast is on how a Canadian ends up in a Chinese prison, and if he's even alive. Listen and subscribe to Extradition. Available now, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a TVO podcast. Welcome to On Docs, a podcast about documentaries and the stories they tell. I'm Colin Ellis. And I'm Nam Kiwanuka. And on today's podcast, we're speaking with director Stacey Tenenbaum about Scrap, the stuff that ends up in junkyards and landfills, and also the name of her latest documentary. We don't think about a scrap. We consume and discard, but we don't really think about what happens with all the waste that we're producing. That voice you just heard was photojournalist Somaya Kandawal, who was featured in the documentary. Her photography in Mayapuri, India's largest scrap market, highlights the relationship between consumers who create the junk that the workers there then spend hours taking apart, things like cars and phones. And these things often end up in the landfill. They then disassemble and clean up, and those materials are then repurposed. Colin, what did you think of the documentary? I really enjoyed it. You know, it has a very cinematic quality to it. And I also just think that what it's, it's tapping into a lot of different issues. It's talking about an environment. It's talking about nostalgia. And I was really kind of moved by the ways that the people in the film are repurposing a lot of the junk that we, well, so-called junk, in really fascinating and novel ways. And I thought that was really um, just something I, yeah. Not, not, that made would, you think? Yeah, it's just something, yeah, it's a doc that makes you think, Yeah, yeah which yeah. is what we like here. We do love that. <laughs> um, what's that saying? One man's junk is another man's. One man's trash is another the, man's treasure. treasure. Yeah, there's a, a gentleman in the documentary who creates these stunning sculptures. They feel like they're moving, but they're not. They're, you know, obviously standing still. Uh, just gorgeous. I, I was actually really impressed by the man who uh, used these old trolley cars. Yeah. And he was actually able to refurbish them. And I think they were uh, sold them to the city of Kenosha and I think uh, in the United States and Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, getting new life out of these old uh, cars, these old uh Phones, these old phone booths. Phone booths, yeah, yeah, phone booths. Actually, that was incredible. Just yeah. this in London, this gentleman taking like those classic London phone booths, the red which ones, I, yeah, which I remember going into when I was in London. It smelled like urine, <laughs> and turning all phone booths everywhere smell like urine. <laughs> yeah, and and basically uh, giving them new life and yeah. and selling them to the movie studios and, and that to sort buy of thing. them to just avoid them being you know uh, erased from history. Exactly. Um, that was another thing that I thought was really interesting about the documentary. Um, I have to say though, I am guilty of being one of those people that buys new things instead of repairing them. Mm-hmm. I like the smell of new. And even with phones, uh, I, I have lots of phones uh, that I haven't thrown out. But, um, you know, I think we have to remind ourselves that there are ways to repair things that are broken. Toronto has repair cafes where people can bring in their broken technology and the people there will show you how to fix it so you can keep using it. In the interview, we talk about something called the right to repair movement. Um, and that's really gaining steam and forcing companies to provide things like schematics that can help people fix broken technology instead of just throwing it away or lining up at five o'clock in the morning to get that latest, you know, phone. Definitely, which I've certainly not done ever. Uh, never, <laughs> n- never me. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Here's our conversation with Stacy Tenenbaum. Stacy Tenenbaum, thank you so much for joining us on Ondocs today. Oh, it's great to be here. <laughs> How did you get interested in the way scrap is getting repurposed around the world? 
well, I've always sort of had this sort of fondness for vintage things. I collect old mechanical scales and pulleys, and it's sort of been something that's spoken to me for a long time. But the thing that really inspired the film was that I saw this photo. Uh, I was doing research for another project, and I found a photo of an old like rocket ship space junk graveyard just outside of Moscow. I, I was just completely captivated by this place. <laughs> and they had all these old rockets from like the 1940s and or whenever the space race, the 60s. Uh, and uh, it just got me thinking like um, about what happens to stuff like that. You actually like it has to go somewhere and where, where do things end up? Uh, and I kind of felt that that wasn't a question that people were asking. And I, and I knew just based on this one photo that these locations were really beautiful in a strange way and that they were really captivating uh so i i kind of felt that that would translate into a film obviously well you described what you saw as beautiful um i think a lot of us when we think of that uh when we think of graveyards with old things we think garbage ew we don't think of beauty so how do you define scrap uh, well, when I first started the film, I was like, I wanted it to be an environmental art. Uh, what was it? An environmental art film. So um, really, I wanted to focus on that that beauty and the art that's involved in these spaces. And I know that sounds weird because it's rusting metal, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I kind of call rust like nature's art. Like if you look at rust in, on a piece of metal that's been outside, like it just has this very organic sort of modern art look to it. Um, um, so I really wanted it to be an art film. I was inspired by stuff like manufacturing landscapes and, and all the, those in that series, Anthropocene, um, that really set a lot with the imagery rather than having to have like a heavy handed environmental narration or talking heads. I really thought that the imagery itself could move people and get them sort of engaged in the question of scrap and what happens to the scrap metal and also just our connection to it. Um, so that was, that was kind of the with the film. I, I thought I saw a little bit of an Anthropocene influence in the film. I, I noticed, especially when we were looking at uh, a place like India, where, you know, we see these, like, people just, like, pulling apart, like, cell phones. And something that made me question, or something that I was thinking about when I watched that is just, how does someone's cell phone, like, say, in North America, wind up in, a, in, in a, like, a e-waste facility in India? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, it's not supposed to happen. <laughs> like all of these places that are collecting your phones and they're, they're supposed to be like, you know, doing this green recycling and everything. And part of the research that I was doing on the film, a lot of it is getting offloaded to third world countries, which is kind of shocking and upsetting. There's a there's an organization that I was partnered with at the beginning that was called Basel Action Network. And they actually were putting trackers and cell phones and computers that companies here in Canada were saying, oh, yes, we recycle them here. It's all very clean and good and environmental. And the trackers were ending up in places like India and China and all of these, you know, places around the world. So that's kind of a huge shameful issue, even that, you know, Canadians have to sort of contend with, which leads me to my phone hoarding problem. <laughs> <laughs> I have the same problem. Trust me. I don't I have trust those, those Samsung flip phone. <laughs> 
and and the cool thing is that uh, when I was doing the film, we had a lot of environmental partners that I was partnered with. And one of them is the Canadian National Institute for the Blind, and they are repurposing uh, cell phones. So what they'll do is you donate your phone. They give you a tax receipt for your donation, which is like amazing. Uh, and they wipe your phone, they fix it if it needs to be fixed, and they put on apps to help blind people navigate the world. So uh, the program's called Phone It Forward. And I think that that type of idea of reusing rather than scrapping or even recycling is is so much more like where we should be headed. Uh, it seems like uh, we live in a society where when the new latest phone comes out, you need to get it. Not because you need it, but it's because it's got, you know, a better camera or it's just newer or, or a bigger size. And you've written that the two main drivers of our waste problem are overconsumption and disposable culture. How are they contributing to what ends up in landfills and scrapyards? Well, I, I think you nailed it. I mean, it's like that, just that idea that I have to have the newest, latest, best is like, you know, people are throwing stuff out a lot quicker. Um, but then there's also, you know, questions of built-in obsolescence that these companies are like, you know, having, you know, screens that they know are going to crack <laughs> and, you know, ports that they know are not going to work. And um, the whole question of right to repair that, that a lot of the companies are locking you out of being able to repair these things on your own. And it's it's not just cell phones, it's stuff like tractors, uh, which is a big issue. Uh, anything that is computerized uh, is a problem. And, and that's also leading to sort of this amount, tremendous amount of waste because the life cycles are becoming shorter and shorter on these things. So like a washing machine or a dishwasher years ago that didn't have a computer in it would last for 30 years. And now they're lasting for like seven years. And even cars, which were the most sustainable, I mean, that was actually a really environmental <laughs> or uh, industry because mechanics could fix cars, right? Because they were mechanical uh, and they were actually, you know, scrapped and recycled and whatever early on. Uh, and now with all the computerization, even of cars, like mechanics aren't able to fix them. Um, they're going to have a lot more problems, you know, recycling them. Uh, so yeah, it's, it, I think that those are the three drivers is, is the sort of, you know, need to have more, the, the, in, the built-in obsolescence, the, the shortened lifespan of things, like they all come together to, um, to sort of create this tremendous amount of waste. You mentioned the right to repair. What is that? Right to repair is awesome. I'm really into it. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> because like stuff like Apple was locking you out of like you had to have, you know, if you, your warranty would be voided if you opened it up or tried to fix it. Or if anyone's ever gone to the Apple store and they're like, oh, it's going to cost, you know, $3,000 to fix your phone, but I'll sell you this new one for, you know, $2. Um, so there are organizations out there uh, that are fighting for the right to repair, which is um, making devices so that they can be opened and fixed, uh, not avoiding those warranties when when we do fix stuff. And, and it also applies to stuff like phones, but tractors, cars, uh, a whole variety of things that uh, manufacturers are basically forcing consumers to use their people to fix the things, or they're just not able to get into them. They don't have the tools or the technology. So um, in Canada, there was a right to repair bill, which sort of died on the floor or is in the process of dying on the floor. The US, uh, I'm partnered with an organization called US PERG, and they're working all across the country for right to repair legislation. Uh, 
Um, so yeah, it's it's a really cool issue, and uh, I'm pretty passionate about it. I'm also partnered with repair cafes, so uh, pretty much every city has a repair cafe that will teach you the lost art of repair. So if you have you know an old blender, or a toaster, or speakers that you inherit from someone, uh, you can bring them down to your repair cafe, and there are people that have those skills and knowledge and are wanting to pass it on so that we don't lose that. I gotta do well, that. <laughs> I know, right? Instead of forking out like three hundred, four hundred dollars, but um, Stacy, you mentioned uh, Apple. How do companies like Apple feel about right to repair? They're very much against it. That's why it's so hard to pass that legislation. Uh, yeah, it's uh, <laughs> they don't they don't want it. Um, do we know why? Well, because I think that they want to sell you new stuff. They want you to buy the newest, best thing. Well, something you know you. you feature a, a quite a diverse array of people from all over the world. I mean, you got incredible access to all these uh, individuals who are uh, repurposing scrap in very interesting ways. Um, how do, how do, how, I guess, how do the people in your film address what is thought of as waste? Uh, well, I purposely chose people that were, <laughs> that had a similar attitude to my own, which is, you know, we have to hold on to this stuff. Um, a lot of them were really sentimental about the things that they were sort of, you know, either collecting or repurposing. Um, and that's something I wanted to show is just the attachment that these people had to the objects. I think it's something that unites all of them in the film um, and that they cared about the objects enough to, let's say, save all of these streetcars that were about to get scrapped or to save and restore all of these amazing British phone boxes that were going to like disappear from the face of the earth. It's like ridiculous to think about. And so they they kind of had that that attachment and that foresight. And I, I like one of the characters in the film, the sculptor, John Lopez, he says, like, we're losing our history. And I think that that's true, like that instinct to just scrap something like you can you imagine if like british phone boxes just got completely wiped off and no nobody ever saw a british phone box again like it just doesn't make any sense so like i think it, a lot of those decisions to scrap are going to be stuff that we're going to regret down the line and that we might even be regretting already uh, you mentioned you know there was a sentimental attachment to these objects an emotional connection to what some of us might think of as junk. You mentioned John, um, who made these sculptures out of uh, beautiful, like he made these beautiful works of art uh, from material found on farms and in his community. But then you also had a family who lived in an airplane, uh, which was out of necessity. And uh, something that stuck in my head, um, the woman says, don't call it a graveyard because, you know, that's where the planes were. Don't call it a graveyard. We are living people, not spirits. What kinds of connections do people make with what some of us consider to be junk? Well, I, I mean, in her case, it was like her livelihood <laughs> was uh, basically uh, tourists were coming and photographing these old planes. And she was supporting like a, a huge family with the money that she was getting from that and using the planes as as her home. Um, and, and what I found really funny in that story was that she actually had found a second use for the plane, which was using it as accommodation. And she's like, I would never want to fly in an airplane. <laughs> so the thing that it was actually 
actually made to do. She's like, no, I have no interest in flying. But like, you know, she's found this whole second life and second purpose for the airplane, which I, I think is, is kind of amazing. And it was the same with the architect who was taking this old ship uh, at the end of its life and turning it into a church. Um, so I, I really wanted to show people that were using their creativity and ingenuity to um to, to look at the end of life of these objects in a different way and, and find new new purpose for them. We talked about India a little bit early, earlier on, and uh, you, f- you feature a photojournalist. Why does she capture uh, places like scrapyards? What, what's the purpose of her photography? I think she has a similar, uh, she's, she's a photojournalist, and I think she has the similar feelings that I do towards Scrap. I, I kind of see her voice a little bit like my voice in the film. Um, she really wants to just show people, first of all, where stuff ends up, but also the beauty that can be found in, in those objects. Uh, and her, she also, similar to me, really cares about this whole idea of the use and throw cult culture and like the, the sort of mass consumption and the need to have the newest best so she's trying to combat that with her images which are quite striking of um well this this is where your cell phone ends up this is the reality of the situation uh to hopefully get people to sort of try and change their their attitudes uh, her pictures are just phenomenal really talented um what's the reception been like so far for the documentary I think it's been really good. I mean, it's hard documentaries, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm lucky because the, fil- uh, the film is playing on the documentary channel, which is such a huge and important thing for Canadian filmmakers uh, to be able to show their films, as is T- TVO, of course. And it was in cinemas, which like I, I across the country, which was pretty amazing. Uh, and a lot of people came out to see it. I think that originally people, they, they think scrap and they think maybe this isn't a film they want to see or... Uh, uh, they might feel like guilty, like, I don't want to know where my cell phone ends up. But I, I try to tell people, like, the people who do make it out to the film really love the film. <laughs> so in, it's just a matter of, like, saying, you know, getting over that hump of, like, yeah, I want to see a film about scrap metal. But I think people should want to see a film about scrap metal. And what I try to tell people is that it actually is a really uplifting, positive, like, feel good film. So uh, hopefully uh, people tune in and they'll they'll enjoy it. But uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of just getting people to that step of wanting to see it. You mentioned guilt before. You know, I, something something makes me think it's not only guilt, but it's just I think it's just I don't know what we're supposed to do with all this stuff. I think there's, there's just a lack of knowledge about what we can do. Like I mentioned, you know, before we started talking that we're I'm clearing out my aunt's house and we have all this stuff in there that you know like some of it we can use for sure but a lot of it's just like i don't know what to do with this you know is that part of it as well you think i think so i think that even with a lot like any kind of environmental problem like sometimes it just seems so big uh that that it stresses people out right and you think oh it it, it immobilizes them and and going into making this film i knew that i didn't want that to happen like, I didn't want people to feel like this problem is just so big uh, that I can't do anything about it. And there's so much stuff, which is true. But um, there are small ways, like small lifestyle changes that you can make that uh, will 
<laughs> I mean, it won't solve the problem, but it'll, it, it, it can put a dent in it, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, where we spend our money, spending money on products that last a long time, that are made from, you know, good materials, um, that have lifetime warranties, you know, that they're, that they're meant to be repaired. Like there are different companies now that are operating in the circular economy, which is they're building stuff better to be, and they're sort of building it to have a longer life. So supporting those companies with your your dollars so i think there are like little things like even just garage sailing like i've been a huge garage sailor my whole life or antique shopper like if you don't want it someone else might right um so it's just a matter of changing that instinct to like throw away and changing sort of how we shop and so i i don't think it's necessarily guilt because we have to use stuff um and you know stuff does eventually die it's just a matter of like what are we buying what are we investing in and uh how long can that thing last um there's another line that i uh stood out for me and i wrote it down um it was waste isn't just impacting the environment it's impacting us as human beings um there was another scene where a gentleman was saving these cars and he said you know this is not about hoarding this is about being able to allow the next generation to see cars like this um do how do we change our mindset to this because it seems like a lot of it too was about preserving history once these objects are gone they're gone yeah i mean uh, I, I, that's what i wanted to do with the film was just show how we can be attached to things and how those things are important and sort of the sadness that we feel when they're when they are gone or might disappear. Uh, there's a lot of nostalgia in the film. Uh, and I think that, you know, that's another thing that it's sometimes environmental films, they just make you angry, right? It's like, oh, this is a terrible problem and there's so much waste and I'm angry. And, and, but in this case, I think that that nostalgia, that, that feeling of like sort of attachment and moving people in a different emotional way um, might help sort of get them more involved in thinking about how they're dealing with their own things. So that, that was kind of a different way of looking at uh, sort of creating emotion towards, you know, hopefully taking that emotion of nostalgia and loss and sadness rather than anger and, and turning that into some kind of action. I think the nostalgia piece is really interesting because that's something I, I, I've been feeling a lot these days is just like, like, because I think we're so overwhelmed with like, like consumption things that we like absolutely need. But I'm also like, I kind of want to go back to a simpler time and, and, and have things like my Walkman again, you know, <laughs> I kind of wish I hadn't gotten rid of it, you know, like I kind of wish I'd kept my VHS tapes and all those th things um, from ages ago, because I think I have this like remorse now, you know, it's like, it would have been nice to have those and kind of like to see them, see them. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I, one of the characters in the film, the guy who's restoring the phone booths, he says something about that people want that like thing to hold on to even emails you know like if you think of letters that they've preserved from people from you know or even like the compositions hand done by musicians with like stuff notes on the side like we're not going to have that right it's just emails and then maybe they're not even going to be able to access our emails in the field like it, it's just a whole question of having a thing there's something very powerful in that um it's very concrete and i think it it um we need that as humans. I think we need to hold on to stuff and care for stuff and and have stuff with meaning in our lives. Um, so that that was part of the message that I was trying to get across in the film. 
I guess in the last 10 years, I've become a bit of a vintage collector. I love vintage design and uh, furniture. And my whole house, I think I've furnished it for maybe like $1,000 with the exception of the beds and mattresses. Um, but what's something you what's something do you think can we can do, people can do to help keep landfills here and abroad a little emptier? Yeah, well, it's a lot of the stuff we've been talking about already is, um, first of all, like buying stuff that's built better, like stuff that's built out of metal rather than plastic, <laughs> stuff that's mechanical and can be sort of, you know, replace stuff that you can replace the parts on, right? That's a huge thing that, uh, you know, that can be fixed. So that is something. And then just even small things like holding on to things longer, like don't buy the newest cell phone, <laughs> like, you know, just hold on to stuff a little bit longer and, um, you know, look for stuff that has lifetime warranties. There are actually websites around that, that gather all those things that have lifetime warranties and you can get them repaired and fixed. And, and so buy from companies that are, are doing better. You know, you would call this an environmental film. Um, and often when we think of the environment, I think we think of climate change. Do you see this uh, conversation around scrap metal, around junk? Uh, do they intersect in a way? with the climate change debate? They do. Um, the definitely e-waste um, in India, um, the place that you that, that I filmed in is actually one of the more environmentally friendly places. 90% of the e-waste is actually going to the illegal sector in India, which burns um, the stuff. So plastic, all of these toxins that are going into the into the environment. So it does, it's fairly toxic, the recycling of e-waste, uh, if not done properly. And most of it isn't done properly. So uh, that definitely intersects with climate change. Um, also, ship breaking is a really nasty, nasty uh, industry <laughs> uh, in India and Pakistan and, and countries like that, where um, they're also releasing a lot of toxins and burning and doing all kinds of stuff that is really, really bad for the environment and bad for the people who are working there as well. I mean, just health hazard. Um, so yeah, there, there is an intersection of those two, but I think just the creation of this waste that has to be dealt with in some way is eventually going to like either be burnt or melted or whatever, which does lead to climate change indirectly. I just realized I said debate. It's not a debate. There's no debate. <laughs> it's happening. No debate. <laughs> well, Stacy, thank you so much for joining us today on OnDocs. This was great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much. Take care. You too. Thank you. And that's the podcast. Special thanks to Stacy Tenenbaum for coming on the show. You can watch Scrap on the Documentary Channel. If you like what you heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. Thanks to producer and editor Matthew O'Mara. Production support coordinators Nikki Ashworth and Jonathan Hollowell. Our manager is Shariyar Tajvidi. And our executive producer is Laurie Few. Thanks for listening. We'll see you at the next screening. <laughs>